Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Many years ago, I was reading a book by a biblical counselor. His name's Paul Tripp. It's a really good book on biblical counseling and how to help others. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. And, and I remember him sharing this illustration in that book, and it's kind of stuck with me for all these years. And so I'm borrowing his illustration. This does not come from me. This comes from Paul Tripp. But I'm going to make it sound like it's me. So it's more of a first-person type thing. So I'm giving him credit. So think about the fact that in your backyard we have an apple tree. This big, huge apple tree. And every year this apple tree uh, begins to give us dry, wrinkled brown, mushy apples that just aren't good to eat. And after about three years, Dawn looks at me and she says, you know what, we've got this huge apple tree in our backyard and it keeps yielding these really bad rotten fruit. Would you do something about this, Sean, so that we can have a good apple tree? I said, okay, I, I, I will do something about this, Dawn. And um, so I go out to the backyard, I get on a ladder and in a bushel, I have some brand new red shiny apples and a staple gun. And I began stapling the red apples to the apple tree. And she looks out the window and looks at me and is like, what in the world is he doing stapling red shiny apples to the apple tree? Now, from a distance, the apple tree looks nice and shiny and healthy. But the problem is not stapling fresh apples to a bad apple tree. The problem is the roots. The tree's a bad tree. Everything else is just cosmetic. Everything else is just temporary. So here's the moral of this little parable. Fruit stapling, stapling fruit with a staple gun, does not solve the problem. From a distance, the tree looks great, but it's only temporary. And the reason why? It's a bad tree. A bad tree produces bad fruit. No matter how much stapling of good fruit you put on the branches of a bad tree. Now what does this whole story that I read in a book a few years ago have to do with our passage this morning? Well, it'll make sense in just a moment. Over the past months, we have been in chapter 6 of Luke looking at this sermon on the plain, if you will. The flat area. And I want you to remember Jesus' audience. Back in verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Jesus is preaching to his disciples. Those who have chosen to follow Christ for salvation. His disciples. And he teaches us the Beatitudes, the blessings. He teaches us to... Love our enemies. Last week we looked at the issue of judging one another. 
And now he brings the sermon to a close with two analogies, two parables. And one of the things we need to understand about Jesus' ministry is that oftentimes there's a mixed audience. There are those in the audience who have trusted Christ for salvation, and yet there are those also in the audience that the other gospel writers sometimes call the crowd. They're there for curiosity's sake. They're there to kind of check out Jesus. Some of them may be hypocrites. Some of them may be game players. But one of the things that Jesus does as a good preacher to drive home his point is that he exposes the hypocrisy of those who are not truly followers of Christ, but who may think they are followers of Christ. I've said this many times. You can have a profession of faith but not have possession of faith in Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is there are those who talk a good talk. They play a good game. They can use Christian lingo. They may go to church. They may have gotten baptized. They may know a lot of Bible trivia. But when you get down to the root of their lives, they are not truly saved. They've merely professed or said that they're a Christian but they do not possess faith in Christ through actual salvation. It's a mere profession, but not possession. And so you could say that when you get down to the root of their life, there is no root that would produce the good fruit of salvation. When you get down under their life, there is no solid foundation in Christ. And so it's from these two images, these two metaphors, one from fruit, one from agriculture and one from architecture, building, that Jesus brings his sermon to a close. And he's going to demand a response from his hearers. So let's read the conclusion of this sermon with these final two analogies, illustrations that Jesus uses to drive home his point. Starting in verse 43 of Luke chapter 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes plucked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now I want to ask two very important questions this morning. Here's the two questions. What kind of fruit are you bearing kind of fruit are you bearing? 
Second question, what kind of life are you building? Fruit bearing, life building. Now, I hope to answer these two questions from Jesus' words this morning, but as you dive into this passage of Scripture, you find that there are five main truths, five key points that Jesus teaches us with these two parables, these two analogies. And truth number one may not be that obvious, but it's something that the Bible teaches. And here's truth number one. Every single person is born a bad person tree, quote, unquote. Every single person is born a bad tree. The Bible is very clear that every single person is born into this world rotten to the core with the corruption of sin. And that comes from what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. When Adam ate the fruit in the garden, he trespassed God's law and he brought sin and corruption and spiritual death into the world so that every single person born since Adam is born under the curse of sin. Romans 5.18 Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That one trespass, the one thing that Adam did, that one infraction led to condemnation for all of us. All of us are born under the penalty of sin. We're born a bad fruit. We are radically corrupt. Now, sometimes you hear the word radical. That's radical, dude. We're radically corrupt. I'm going to teach you a little Latin this morning. You know what the word, the word radical comes from Latin. It means root, to the root, to the core of who you are. We are radically corrupt to the core of who we are. Every part of our nature, our mind, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, even our body, everything about us is, we're born corrupt with sin. David says it this way in, in Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are conceived. From the moment of conception, we are sinful because we've inherited that sin from Adam. We're born a bad tree. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were, this is before you were a Christian, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we were all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, by nature, by birth, by nature, our very nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The main issue here is that a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Fundamentally, a diseased tree cannot rise above its disease and produce anything good because the tree to its very root system is bad. So in order for a tree to produce good fruit, you have to change the tree. You have to go from being a bad tree to a good tree because the fruit's going to come out based upon what type of tree it is. So what has to happen to you? Fundamentally, the, the very nature, your very nature has to be changed. You have to change from being a bad tree into a good tree, and you cannot do that. So here's point number two, or truth number two. 
Only God, only God can sovereignly change your heart and your identity. You cannot change yourself from being spiritually dead, born in Adam, corrupt in sin. You cannot change yourself into becoming a person that now produces the good fruit of righteousness because you're now a good tree. You can't produce that. God has to do that to you. As a bad tree, you will continually produce bad fruit. You'll always sin. You'll always fall short. You'll never live up to God's standards. You'll always be in bondage to your sin. You'll never rise above the nature of who you are because that's who you are. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people know they sin, and they may feel a little guilt, and they try to deal with sin through Willpower, having a positive attitude, making a New Year's resolution, cleaning up your act. And these are just kind of outward behavior modifications that put a Band-Aid on the situation. If I just clean up my act, I'll start producing good fruit and I'll be a good person. I just got to clean up my act. I got to do better. I got to try harder. Outward behavior modification. That will not work. It's like stapling fruit on a bad tree only an inward change from the core of who you are from the inside of who you are is going to change you into a good tree god has to do that god has to do something to your heart ezekiel 36 26 through 27 this is god speaking i will give you a new heart a new spirit i'll put within you I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God has to do that. Notice God's the one speaking here. God has to replace that that stony, dead, sinful, selfish, rebellious heart that we're born with. Only God can replace that heart. Only God can get to the root of who you are and and take you from being a bad tree and turn you into being a good tree. You can't clean up your act. God has to do something to your heart to cause that to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be internally changed. Your heart needs to be changed. This happened to a woman named Lydia when Paul was preaching to her down at the river in Philippi. In Acts 16, 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She didn't open her heart. The Lord opened her heart. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love, we sang about earlier, the deep, deep love of Jesus, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God took you from being spiritually dead, and he made you alive. God took you from being one who had a dead, stony heart to be giving you a new heart. God is the one who took you from being a bad tree and turned you into a good tree. Only God can do this through his sovereign regeneration. We call it the new birth. We call it being born again. We call it God's sovereign work in your life to do this. You can't clean up your act. You can't staple new fruit on a bad tree. Only God can get down to the root and change you. So those are the first two truths. Every single one of us is born a bad tree. 
We can't do anything about it no matter how hard we try. Number two, God has to be the one to do the work to change the very nature of who we are. And so here's truth number three. And this is really where Jesus is driving the point. Proof of a changed heart is a changed life. Proof of a changed heart is a changed life. Once that change has happened... Once God has taken you from being a bad tree and turned you into a good tree, you've had a heart change. And you should now be living a new life, producing good fruit, producing good things that come from God. Notice what he says here. No good tree produces bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree produce good fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. But now that you've been turned into a good tree, you can produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Okay, now that you've been changed, you begin to produce fruit. The fruit of a changed life. Which leads to a question I had to ask this week. Okay. What does it look like? What is this fruit that I'm supposed to be bearing? It's kind of a word we hear a lot of times in Christian circles. You need to be bearing fruit. Are you bearing fruit? How's the fruit in your life? What does that mean? What will your new life look like now that you've been changed from the inside out? Let's think about some passages of Scripture that talk about fruit. John the Baptist, we looked at this way back in chapter 3 of Luke But remember the words of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. I don't know if you know this, but when God saves you, you become a lifelong repenter. You're always repenting of your sins. You're always owning up to your sins. You're always confessing your sins. You're always grieving over your sins. You're quick to confess. You're quick to to, to, to repent. You are always repenting of your sins. And so you're bearing fruit with repentance. So one of the fruits that you bear is you're, you're ongoingly, as a lifestyle, constantly repenting. What did Jesus say in John 15, 4 through 5? Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I won't. The more you spend time with Jesus in prayer and Bible study, And fellowshipping with Jesus as your Savior, the more you abide in Him and He in you, He begins to produce that fruit in your life. You can't do it on your own because you're connected to Him. He's the vine. We're just a branch. Okay, later on in that passage, in John 15, 16, He's telling His disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You should go and bear fruit. This is talking about evangelism. 
the Great Commission. We are to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, and then bear fruit. So part of the fruit that you bear is sharing the gospel with others, seeing people get saved, seeing the church grow through our witness. That's one of the ways that we bear fruit. Okay, what does Paul have to say? Romans 6.22. But you know that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. When God saves you, you no longer are a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to God. You're a servant to God. God owns you. And he says the fruit you get when you're connected to Christ is that sanctification, that holy life. So part of the fruit is living a holy life towards Christ. The most famous passage of scripture on fruit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. The fruit of character, Christian character. These aren't just um, personality traits. These are things that the Holy Spirit produces in us that show godly character. The fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 1, 9-11. This was read as our call to worship. It's my prayer. This is Paul's prayer. It's my prayer. What's your prayer, Paul? That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with what? The fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that we would have love, we would have knowledge, we would have wisdom, that we would have the fruit of righteousness, that we would grow in that. And then James 3.17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So when you take all these things together, what is the fruit of your life? It's being a repenter. It's abiding in Jesus. It's sharing the gospel. It's living a holy life. It's praying for wisdom and knowledge in your life. It's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. All these things come together to be a person who produces fruit. Now, here's the problem. As a new tree, sometimes things come out of our mouth that shock us, that show the condition of our hearts. What does Jesus say there at the end of verse 45? Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. That's a very convicting passage of Scripture. Whatever's going on deep in your heart, it's often going to come out with your words. And what happens when those words fly out? Well, we need to confess it. We need to grieve it. We need to own up to it. We need to admit our need for the Spirit's help. We need to recognize it for what it is. Are you ever shocked at what comes out of your mouth? I mean, I I was thinking about this week. I'm appalled at what comes out of my mouth, but then I ask myself, am I truly appalled at what comes out of my mouth? Do I trace it immediately back to what's in my heart? How do we often respond when we say things we shouldn't say? What do we do as Christians when we say things we shouldn't say? 
What do we say? Oh, that, that's not really who I am. That was out of character. I've got my sin under control. That's not really what I'm like. Oh, yeah? What does Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What should we say? And this is what we don't say, but this is what we should say. Yeah? That's what I'm really like. That's really what's going on in my heart right now. Usually I do a better job of hiding it. I do a better job of being hypocritical and masking it. But it came out. And I really need Jesus right now. Because my heart's not in a good place. Would you pray for me and I ask for your forgiveness because my heart's not good. That's the way we should respond. But we normally say, oh, that's not me. That's out of character. That's not really what the way I am. Yes, it is. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to pray for God's grace when we do say those things and ask him to continually change our hearts. So, you're born a bad tree. You need to be changed into a good tree. Only God can do that. And when you're changed into a good tree, you begin to bear fruit. Not perfection, but you begin to bear fruit. It's a changed life. Now, here's the warning. Here's truth number four, and Jesus addresses this. Many people talk about Jesus, but do not actually live for Jesus. Many people talk about Jesus, but they do not live for Jesus. What does Jesus say there in verse 46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do? what I tell you. Why do you make a profession of faith with your mouth saying that you're a Christian and that I'm your Lord, but you don't have a changed life? You don't live for me. You don't do what I ask you to do. You know, if Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord. That means that he gets the right to tell you how to live, what you believe. You live for him. You don't just say it. You live it. Pastor Andrew read this earlier, and it's interesting that this passage in Ezekiel 33, 31, God's chiding the nation of Israel for their, for their apathy towards his word. They come to you as people come. They sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. They come. They listen. They hear, but they have lustful hearts and they're not going to do what you tell them, Lord. The parallel to this is James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I want you to notice the progression in verse 47. There's, there's three verbs, three actions in verse 47 that Jesus says. Everyone who comes to me, okay, there's the first one, comes to me and hears me, and third, and does my words, I will show them what he's like. Many people come to church. Many people sit and hear, but do they do? Many people go to a Bible study. Many people hear good preaching. Many people listen to podcasts. You're inundated with all types of Bible intake, whether it's from a podcast, whether it's from a sermon, whether it's from a Bible study. You come, you hear, you listen, but does it actually translate into obedience? 
to where you are actually putting into practice what you are hearing. So in the tree analogy, the fruit analogy, God has to sovereignly change you from being a bad tree and turn you into a good tree by his saving grace. In the second parable, the issue is not your root system, but your foundation. It's an, it's an architectural metaphor. He moves from talking about fruits and trees into talking about houses. What is your foundation? What's your life built upon? 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ your foundation? Is he what your life is built upon? I find it very interesting. Colossians 2, 6 through 8, Paul uses these two metaphors to teach about the Christian life. And I wonder if he hearkened back to Jesus' words about the parable of being rooted about trees and fruits and agriculture and then talking about architecture. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Okay, walk in Christ, live in Christ. Rooted, there's the agricultural metaphor, rooted and, here's the architectural metaphor, built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Rooted. Original language, it conveys deeply rooted. Well planted into Jesus. You're, you're deeply rooted. You've got roots that go deep into Christ. He's changed your nature. You're abiding in Christ. You're walking with Christ. It's what Jeremiah 17.8 says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You're rooted in Christ. You're, you're, you're trusting in Christ. When my parents lived in California the first time, uh, back when they lived in the San Francisco area, we visited them, and we went to the Redwoods. And the Redwoods are interesting. We didn't go to the big, big Redwoods, but some of those Redwoods are over 2,000 years old. And they're so big, you can drive a car through them. And these are massive trees. And here's the interesting thing about the Redwoods. I don't know if you know this. Each individual tree has a very small root system. You may ask yourself, well, how can they get so big and massive if they have small roots? Here's the, here's the, the beauty of it. They are all interconnected in a network of root systems that keeps them all deeply planted. So it's not just one tree. It's all of the trees together have intertwined with roots so they can grow so massive. They're rooted deep together. Now, I thought about this image for a moment. As individualistic American Christians, we like to think of my, me and Jesus, I'm rooted in Jesus, and I got my roots. But how often do we need the body of Christ to where we're all interconnected together and all of our roots are coming together so that we are a network, we're a family, we're rooted together, we're supporting one another, we're a family, and we have strong roots together. It's not just me and Jesus over here with my root, that's good, but are you connected in the life of the church to where we're all growing together? in that root system. And then the next metaphor Paul says there is we're built up. We're built up. Same thing Jesus says, your foundation. Now, a few years back, I don't know if it's still on, but on the Science Channel, there was a show called Strip the City. 
Uh, they would go back and they would take uh, major cities around the world and they would strip everything back and show you what the city was built upon. And one of the ones was on Paris. And some of you maybe have been to Paris or you've seen movies of Paris. Paris is probably one of the most beautiful cities in the world, some of the most well-known monuments. you got the Eiffel Tower, the Alto Triomphe, and all these other different um, monuments all across Paris. It's, it's a wonderful city. But here's the problem with Paris. A lot of people are fearful that it could sink upon itself one day. It was built on ancient sandstone quarries that many geologists and scientists fear will collapse one day because back during the day they dug out all the limestone to build the cathedrals. And so right now in Paris, with all these monuments and all these buildings, it's too heavy for the sandstone. Now, I'm not saying Paris is going to collapse upon itself tomorrow, but think about the most beautiful city in the world with some of the greatest monuments it's on a very small foundation that it could just come sinking down. But it looks so beautiful. Underneath, it's potentially going to collapse. So Jesus says there are many people who say with their mouth, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but with their lives, they don't live for Jesus. They're not producing the fruit of repentance. Okay, here's the fifth point, the fifth truth. The true test of your faith comes when you're under pressure or you're suffering or you're going through times of temptation. Now, think about these two houses that these, these builders built. From a distance, they probably look the same, like an, an ancient Mediterranean house. They probably look the same from a distance, kind of like looking at that fruit that's stapled to the tree. From a distance, it looks good. What's the one thing that's the difference between the two houses? The foundation. Now, what did the first guy do? In verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Now, he dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. I don't know how long it took him to dig deep and get down there and lay the foundation on the rock, but I'm sure it was painstaking. It took time. It took energy. It took discipline. It took blood, sweat, and tears to dig deep and get down upon that foundation. And let me just say this, building a strong foundation in Christ is not easy. It's costly. It's not the easy path. It's not convenient. Because it requires you to get rid of your pride, to get rid of your self-righteousness, to get rid of the sin in your life. It requires you to kill sin. It requires you to repent. It requires you to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. It requires you to count the cost. Luke 9 23 through 25. This is Jesus. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? So, when you have that strong, solid foundation on Jesus. When the storms of life comes, when the temptations of life comes, when the pressures of life come, when the diseases and cancer and coronavirus and all these things come at you, and they will, you can withstand it because you're built on the rock. 
And all that cost, all, all that discipline, and all that denying yourself, and all that taking up your cross and following Jesus, it's worth it on the day that the pressure comes because your foundation's deep. You've dug deep, and you're solid. It's worth it. Or you can take the easy route. I'm just going to throw up a house over here. I'm not going to take the time or the energy or the commitment to deny myself and build deep into the soil and build deep into the rock. That's too hard. That's too difficult. I know that there's storms coming one day, but I'm going to take the easy path. I'm just going to throw up a house and put it on the sinking sand. And what happens when the storm comes to that house? It's washed away. It's knocked down. Notice what Jesus says there in verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It was a great ruin. It was washed away. It could not withstand the pressure. So when you experience temptation or you experience suffering, or persecution, or trials, or hard times? Is your life built upon the rock of Christ that can withstand, or on the sand that washes away? Is your life built on Christ? Isaiah 28, 16, this is a prophecy about Jesus. Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone. It's talking about Jesus. A stone in Zion. A tested stone. A precious cornerstone. A sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. You believe in Jesus, you'll be unshakable. The storms come. The temptations come. The suffering comes. The economic downturn comes. The relational problems come. The disease comes. The problems in marriage come. All these things come at you. With Christ, you will be unshakable. So let me ask those two questions again. What kind of fruit are you bearing? And what kind of life are you building? If it's not on the rock of Christ, then all other ground is sinking sand. And let me just remind you here today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ... There's a huge flood coming at the end of the age. When Jesus comes back in his power and glory, that will be the day of judgment when the storm will come and hit your house. And on that day, all pretenders will be revealed. The truth about your spiritual condition will be made very clear on that day. Were you a bad fruit that was pretending to be a good fruit? Was your house on the sand or was your house on the rock? That day will reveal it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, we come before you this morning, and we want to be those that would ask the question and deepen our hearts, what type of fruit am I bearing?
And what kind of life am I building? Is it on Christ, the solid rock, that we stand? Lord, help us to be not just hearers of the word. We come, we hear, but we don't do. We don't repent. We don't respond. We don't obey. We don't trust. We let it go in one ear and out the other. Lord, help us to be those that are not just hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, if there's anybody in this room this morning that needs to be changed from a bad tree into a good tree, or to have their house on the rock of Christ, would today be the day, Lord, where you do that in their lives? Would they cry out to you and say, you know what? I've been trying to produce all this stuff in my life, and I'm failing miserably. My house is on sand. I'm a bad tree. I need new life. Jesus, would you save me? I call out to you today. Please forgive me. Please save me. Please change my heart. And the promise is, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, would many call upon your name to be saved this morning? Lord, help us to have our our lives on the rock, the solid rock of Christ. Would we go out here with the confidence that no matter what wind and waves come against us this week, we'll be able to withstand. Because not only are we rooted deeply in Christ, but we also have the sure foundation of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being our root, that we can abide in you. You're the vine, we're the branches. Thank you that you're the sure foundation, that you're the refuge. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Would you give us the grace, Holy Spirit, this week to live lives of obedience to the glory of Christ. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen and amen.